Do you know what date it is? Is it October 3rd? It's October 3rd. This is what I love about this film, is that like almost every single line has become a meme or become a thing. It's like there are so... You could literally sit here for an hour and just quote Mean Girls. Mean girls like, yeah. So many of the lines in this film, like, I'm not a regular mom, I'm a cool mom, getting loser, we're going shopping. Like, there are so many lines in this film. What was I the just, one that we said the other day to each other? I said, gruel. Gruel. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Yeah. I've got a sixth sense, a fifth It's cent. like I've got ESPN or something. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell when it's going to rain. So perfectly empty. With my boots. It's like, you, could just, you could just go round and round. It's like, it's crazy how many lines in this film are still memes in 2020. It's, it's crazy. Right? Imagine having written that. So we are talking Mean Girls. I feel like you can't talk about Mean Girls without just talking about the elephant in the room, which is Lindsay Lohan's failed career. <laughs> I feel like, I always feel sad when I see this film because I do think she had so much promise and potential and she's really charming in this film and then this is like her peak and she peaked at 17 which is just really sad her character is definitely the most boring character in the film mm. she's very much the straight man everyone else in this film is so great I mean who, who would you say is your favourite character in this film Regina Rachel McAdams is phenomenal in this film it's so, like it's a performance that's much better than it needs to be because on, on paper this could be a really stock boring caricature of like a mean girl that you mm -hmm. see in every high school thing but the way that she plays her is so nuanced like she's very still she's like a predator she's like an actual predator mm. and one of the things i was reading somewhere that she says about the character is that she thinks of this character as being really really angry all the time which is interesting because that only comes out now and again that actually often she's very still and calm but that she sees it not actually as meanness but as rage there's like mm. a rage inside her which i think is an interesting way of seeing her but she i think She's great in this. I think all of the plastics actually are yeah, great yeah. in this. Yeah, I, I do like Gretchen as well. Yeah, she's... Um, that... It's a shame we never really saw her in any, very many movies afterwards. Yeah, La Lacey Schaubert, I think her name is. Yeah. She never really did anything. Obviously, Amanda Seyfried probably went on to be the most successful, I would say, maybe. Cause of yeah, because she and did Mamma Mia and she Les Mis. She's so perfectly empty. And this is one of her first films, if not her first film, yeah. I think. But I mean, yeah, it's filled with really good performances. Did this give you flashbacks to school? Because I can't really relate to this film, to be honest, in terms of school experience. So I think in an earlier episode, I talked about how there was def definitive groups in my form, in my class. I definitely felt it. I don't think, going to a girls' school, I don't think the girls were as mean, but then I might have not been more exposed to it because I wasn't in with the plastics or misfits. I tend to go unaware that they're being mocked most of the time. That's hence being a misfit. Did you know this film is actually based on a book? It's a parenting advice book right. called Queen, Bees and Wannabes. And it's written by this woman who's giving parents advice on how to cope with... It's, I think it's actually middle-aged girls, so mm. middle-school-age girls. And I think this kind of behaviour of, like, you have to wear this at a certain time is actually much younger behaviour, I feel like. I don't think 16, 17, 18-year-olds really give a shit about stuff like that. But I do believe 11, 12, 13-year-olds are more into that kind of thing. Mm. So I think that's the other thing that's weird about it is that I do think... It's something they never quite get right in these films, which is the plastics are much more believable at the very end, you know, when they see those the next generation. That's the age, I think, when kids are really more concerned about policing each other's behaviour in such an mm. overt way. But well, I think it goes back to the fact that, you know, we discussed some of the scenarios that they put these girls into, you wouldn't want to put, as a, as a director or a producer, you wouldn't want to put yeah. really young girls into that well, you know, position. One of the things that I so wish... So they used older actors, so the girls ended up being older. Yeah, no, I agree with you. One of the things I wish we'd seen, so this film originally was written to be much more graphic than it is. It had an, like an NC-17 or an R rating or something, mm. and they cut a lot of it out because they wanted that younger audience. Mm. So that line about where she says she made out with a hot dog, she wasn't making out with a hot dog. And Regina George also supposedly was a massive potty mouth, so she was always effing and blinding. Yeah. Um, and they cut all of that out and got rid yeah. of they wanted a wide and you audience. do get that impression that actually it seems quite innocent on the surface but actually because they'd cut out a lot of the profanity and a lot of the more adult content mm -hmm. you do get that impression that actually the situation is a lot more serious than what's being communicated can we talk a little bit about the fact that she was homeschooled to start with yeah so we, so we begin the film then and uh, our main character katie heron is starting her first day at north shore high school she previously this is one thing i don't like about the film which is so typical of like western culture which is just she's just from africa like where in africa though <laughs> what do you mean Africa's huge it's just like she's from Africa there's that scene at the beginning where the principal says we've got a new student from Africa and the teacher then automatically looks at the black girl and says welcome and she says 
I'm from Michigan. It's just like, oh, face palm. I think the film is playing with that, that whole trope, isn't it? Of like, no one really understands anything about Africa in this sort of middle American mm. setting. We also meet, quite early actually, the, the teacher character in this film, Miss Norbury, played by Tina Fey, who is a rare maths teacher. Our first maths teacher, I think. Normally mm -hmm. we get, we've had English, we've had music. Our first maths teacher, and quite a positive portrayal, I thought, of mm -hmm. a teacher. But she's she, going through some stuff, isn't she? She is. She's just got divorced. Mm -hmm. um, she has, she seems quite open with the kids, right, about her life and stuff. I mean, too open in her first scene because she exposes her bra to everyone. Mm. Is this a situation you've ever been in? She got spilt on, didn't she? So she's mm -hmm. trying to take her top top off mm -hmm. whilst her vest is still stuck to her top top. Mm -hmm. So her intention wasn't to flash the kids. But she ends up flashing the kids. And just so, at the right time, as the principal's walking past the classroom. I mean, he seems interested in her as a result. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to reprimand her on it. But uh, no, never been, never had wardrobe malfunction in front of the kids. Well, we've already talked about I have had my flies undone for a whole lesson. So we won't go through that traumatic experience. A colleague of mine came in with two odd shoes once. Oh, um, no, actually, she did it once and she, she realised that she was stepping out of the car to get into school and luckily she lived close enough to go back home and change and then she did it again and to punish herself she said you know what I was stupid enough to do it for the second time so I just thought I've got to live with my decision that's like a Regina George moment though you know much later in the film where someone where they cut holes into her top and she just yeah. struts around like it's normal and then all the girls copy it and sometimes you have to do it enough times yeah, yeah. just pretend you meant to do that yeah. yeah I'm wearing different kind of shoes it's cool right and just yeah. you act like it's fine and maybe she just started a trend but it's her first day she meets Miss Norbury one of the running jokes of this film is that no one knows how to pronounce Katie's name which so everyone keeps calling her Caddy. And then her friend Janice uses that as like a nickname. I do think that flags up though, doesn't it? Like how important it is to get kids names right and how much kids care about that. Yeah. And just putting that investment in time and just actually learning how to say the name correctly. Mm. And you can get it right. I think I've learned this. You can get it wrong, but as long as you make a conscious effort, like, I'm so sorry, I will try and get this right. I do yeah. think it's a really important thing for Absolutely. relationship building. Um, I think um, you will appreciate my, my actual name um has a very specific pronunciation mm -hmm. but i end up with all sorts of pronunciations and letters in my name that don't actually exist and people getting very 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 confused as to <laughs> how to pronounce it i even had the other day um when somebody asked me my name and i spelled it out for them and they were like and what's your first name and i was like that is my first name no 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 not your surname your first name and like they were patronising me as if to say that I didn't understand what the question was. Sometimes I feel like white people act like any name that isn't just a generic European name is impossible to pronounce when that really you just spell it phonetically and nine times out of ten it's fine, mm. you know? Mm. It's like they see it and they're just like, oh, I don't know what this is. I like, saw, just spell um, it out. I do have people when I introduce myself with my given name, they say, oh, do you have a shortened name? Do you have an <laughs> alternative name? And... I don't introduce myself as shame to those people because I think that they should stick at it mm -hmm. until they get it right. I agree. So, I mean, so we get like a montage, don't we, after this first lesson of her first day at school, which is quite dramatic. And there's that thing of like all the... So it's presented as if we're Katie and all the teachers are like frowning at the screen and like close up and telling her off. And she says that she's never lived in a world where adults didn't trust her, which yeah. I think is quite interesting and quite sad insight into how schools often can become these places of just discipline and adults being grumpy. And mistrust is the key thing, isn't it? We know why we do it. Kids asking for permission to go to the toilet, making sure that they've got a pass so that if they're challenged in the corridors, they've got a legitimate reason to be out there. But for her, it's an alien concept, isn't it? She's been homeschooled, mm -hmm. so she's not used to having specific rules. She's not needed rules. You know, she likens the school place to the jungle, so you see quite a few montages where she says if this was in a, if this was the jungle world this would be and then they they alternate the the characters as animals instead mm -hmm. so she's definitely you know not comfortable with the situation is she yeah and i think those parts i'm not really a big fan of those parts so it's like she goes into like a daydream isn't she and she'll imagine them squabbling with each other and fighting each other i'm not really a fan of stuff that suggests that people are just animals and that I think it can be quite reductionist. I think people are actually really complicated. Um, I know it's only a joke, but I just think I'm not really a, a fan of like simplifying human behavior. I don't think people are simple. I do think they are complicated. Can we just talk as well about the fact I mean, Clueless is such a time machine of the mid-90s, but I feel like this film is just as much a time machine as the early 2000s. Like the clothing is so specifically early 2000s for me, like those like really short mini skirts. It's just such a specific aesthetic of 2004 when everyone mm. was wearing like Hollister and... Do you like go back in time to 2004 when you watch this film? 
I definitely get that feeling of being back at school because it was released just as I was finished sixth form starting mm-hmm. university. So yeah, I do I do feel that it sets the era very well just by looking at what they're wearing. Do you remember the layered long sleeve, short sleeve that you see some of the boys wearing? Yeah. And also, so and then we also meet Janice and Damien, so we'll come to them. I feel like I 100% would have been with the art freaks and the burnouts, you know, in this school. And I knew girls that had that like Janice Ian, like bad black hair dye job and like that kind of like emo-y sort of look I knew so many I can think of people you probably know them as well who dressed this way I want to name them but we won't name them but it was such a very early 2000s like pre-full-blown emo and this leads into the next part of the conversation that I want to talk about we used to call them gribos we did which is a brummy word which is a brummy word but like words that get made up. So we used to call them Grebos. And we never said chavs. We called them... Kevs and Sharons. Kevs and Shazzes. Shazzes, right? Mm. Kevs and Shazzes. So if this had been a Birmingham film, they would have introduced the Kevs and the Shazzes. Yeah. They'd have introduced the Grebos. The Grebos. Who else would they have had? Uh, the skaters, who were kind of Grebo adjacent. Skaters were a big thing when we were in school, the right? Goths. The Goths. Goths are a perennial. Goths are always around. I love a Goth. I do like a goth. Yeah. I enjoy a goth aesthetic. I, I, I had a day of being a goth. The thing about being a goth is it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. And I knew that it was too much hard work for me. And I really respect yeah. the commitment, but it's so much hard work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're Asian, painting your face white, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't really do much. You have to have... You have to be pale all over uh-huh. to be a genuine goth. I, I couldn't pull it off. You do get black goths though and Asian goths. They definitely exist. They are, you're right. They are a rarity. But I think I went the wrong way about it because I just like put on as much white powder on my face <laughs> as I possibly could to fit in with that, you know, washed out look. But then my hands and my feet were like definitely not goth. <laughs> right? And Interesting just, look. Yeah. And like you said, it was hard work. It was just hard work. And <laughs> I couldn't do it and I just couldn't pull off the black lipstick. Yeah. But you'd think having black hair, it would, you know, go well. You'd think so. It, did, it really didn't. <laughs> um, well, you know, props up to all the goths out there who maintain that. Yeah, you? shout out to the goths, because we love your commitment to the cause. Okay, so uh, we meet Damien. Damien is another, so this is our second gay team. We've met, we met a gay team in Clues. We've met another one here. And he's another quite interesting portrayal in that he also seems very self-confident. He, you know, he gets mocked by Janice and he's he's fine with that. He well, seems, what is it that she says? He's too gay to function. Too gay to function, which they say later it's only okay for her to say. Which I, I like that idea. You know, there's always like jokes you have between friends. It's all like, it's okay, you can take the piss out of your family, but no one else is allowed yeah, to do yeah. that. Like I can call you fat, but anybody else that dares to do it, I will bat Eating disorder. <laughs> Put that out. I don't want to sound violent. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he's been the fat bit though. <laughs> they have a nice banter going on, right? There's a nice little bit of banter, and yeah. he, he, you know, he's an overweight kid who's like two foot taller than everyone else around him, who's gay and who's not popular, and yet he seems perfectly at peace with himself. Um, they pressure her into skipping class, don't they? They're like, oh, we're going to go out to the sports field. No, they, what do they tell? They're going to. They they decide they're going to skip class. Oh no no, it says. Uh... Do you know where this room is? And they said, oh, we think it's by the back building. Yeah, they go and to the back building. And she obviously trusts them. Uh-huh. Um, she obviously has no concept of the idea. Like, it's clear from their voices, from their body language, that they are about to do something shady. Mm-hmm. But she's so naive and she's so innocent that she trusts them. Yeah. Um, and uh, she... she uh, but then she does realise, but she says that she can't afford to lose friends, right? So she does it. But what class is she missing? She misses sex ed, right? She misses sex ed. And again, the message is the same as the previous ones. Just don't have sex. Yeah. Don't have sex. Which I feel like is a very specifically American thing. I I feel like sex ed in this country is not great, but I feel like we're not, because we have a different relationship with Christianity, I think, in this country, we're not quite, we don't tend to be quite so extreme. You know, the Church of England is quite a moderate church. The the whole like abstinence, anti-abortion type message isn't, quite so extreme in this country so obviously having worked in a few different schools and seen how it's delivered in different schools almost every school now that i've that i've so far worked in um bring in external nurses and they definitely do the different types of contraception they do finish their sessions off with the most effective type of contraception is to abstain and say no however oh, they, do. they do i would have thought they would have just said condoms but, it, but it's not the biggest part the okay. you know they do bring in condoms they do bring in like demonstration <laughs> units used to be bananas i've seen this it used to be bananas but they now have proper demonstration um dummies uh where both girls and boys practice putting on the condoms mm-hmm. and they they look at the different types of contraception on the pill look at the diaphragm and all of those so the bulk of their session is about 
all the different methods out there, but almost all of them have ended with the best one is to say no. And I think the film does a really good job of very quickly making the abstinence message just look like ridiculous and and something that's not going to work because his, the end of the lesson is just don't do it, promise. Mm-hmm. Everyone take some rubbers. Mm-hmm. Like, because they know, you You know, I think we know at this point that just telling kid, teenagers to stop having sex with each other never actually works. And mm-hmm. you need to also prepare them to what to do to have sex in the safest way possible. Mm-hmm. I guess that brings us to when she does skip school, we meet the plastics, mm-hmm. who are at the top of this very clear social hierarchy. They're the three girls at the top. Mm-hmm. So, so Katie's kind of got these two new friends, but then very quickly the plastics see Katie as well. And they kind of bring her into their fold, right? Yeah. Because she's pretty and th- she might give them some social cachet. She's a project for them. She's a project. So she's kind of the tie of this film, right? Yeah. But it's a very different dynamic in that... She's in- a tie of the film, but she's the tie for both groups. And they're both kind of using Katie, right? Janet yeah. is using her to get her revenge on Regina for rejecting her from their circle. But And Regina, it seems, is using her because she's almost like... It's almost like a corporate takeover, isn't it? She's like a new entry who they're recognising could be quite popular and they want to bring her into their fold so they can control that and they also get her social cachet. Yeah. So it's not included. It genuinely does feel kind of selfless, right? And like a genuinely nice thing. She sees this girl who is clueless and wants mm. to help her be popular. In this one, it feels much more like this girl is a potentially a rival, so we're going to take her under our wing mm-hmm. so she's not a threat to us, right? So it's a very different social dynamic, I think. Um, we also meet Aaron Samuels, mm-hmm. the crush of the film. Did you have a crush on Aaron Samuels? I'm not going to lie. He is was my type. He's my type. Did you know that he's gay in real life? He only um, came out a few years ago. Okay. And he has a Mean Girls cookbook. Okay. All the recipes are based on Mean Girls quotes. He's really um, squeezing that orange 15 yeah. years later. <laughs> she gets invited back to Regina's house. There's that little moment with her little sister, Kylie, dancing to Khaleesi's milkshake and like basically learning how to be a stripper, essentially. Yeah, she's literally about seven or eight years old and Which, she's already been very much sexualised, hasn't she? But have you ever seen the first episode of Keeping Up With The Kardashians? No. Where Kylie Jenner, who's like seven or eight, is it's honestly almost... it's uncanny she's also called kylie there's a pole in one of her sister's bedrooms and she's learning how to pole dance and it's honestly almost identical to the same scene with kylie in this film it's so it's like they predicted the kardashians and also the kardashians have the cool mom right chris jenner yeah. it's very strange it's very prescient so we meet um, amy polar and her fake breast implants mm-hmm. <laughs> which she squeezes um all the i think what makes it feel so 2004 to me is all that like baby pink that was everywhere yeah. in 2004 that, the velour, like, the velour, velour. baby pink Pink was such a 2004 yeah. thing. The juicy couture written on the ass. Yeah, do you remember it? <laughs> I do. It was such, and apparently that's they're trying to bring it back, but it's so so. It's like this was also the era of Von Dutch caps. Do you remember the Von Dutch caps, yeah. which we don't see in this? Thank Jesus Christ. <laughs> Did um, you have one? I never had a Von Dutch cap. No, never. I was never into that kind of look. So I think this this whole sequence where she's at Regina's house is really interesting because it's like she says she's learning how to be in girl world. She's never really understood what it is to be a girl in her culture. So the things she learns are you have to look in the mirror and criticise little minute things about yourself because she actually seems quite happy with herself. She hasn't learned that you and that's not allowed if you're a girl mm. in this culture. So she doesn't quite get it right, right? She's like, oh yeah, I have really bad morning breath. Like, that's my thing. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, I quite like that, that she's... She's looking at all these things that they're finding imperfect about themselves, but she's comfortable about those things, her boobs yeah. and all of that. She's she's happy with it. Yeah, and but also she's like, I don't. She doesn't really understand what they're going on about. She's not seeing what they're seeing. They're all just really pretty and glamorous to her, mm. so she doesn't really get what the what. So it's kind of sad, really, isn't it? It's quite a sad insight into the girls learn really quickly that they're not supposed to be happy with themselves. And I, and I like that she's she's that holistic about herself that she's never really considered to pick flaws in her body. And I don't think we do that enough. I know. You know, I think that's the gift that she's got from being homeschooled because she hasn't been exposed to this side of criticism, of self-criticism. Yeah, absolutely. She's She's been able to live in a vacuum and actually going to school is what kind of opens the floodgates of her suddenly becoming quite self-conscious, I guess, yeah. about her body. She also learns the first kind of act of aggression, I guess, we see then is the burn book, which I, I feel like this was probably the last, maybe the last year that a teen film could have been made where a burn book would not have been online, that it would have actually been an actual paper copy of this sort of a thing. Yeah. 2005, it would have been MySpace. They would have had a MySpace page where they'd have been 
burning the kids in their school and have mm-hmm. a top eight. If this had been 2007, it would have been Facebook. If it was now, it'd be Instagram. Like this was the very last time you could have a plausible moment where teenagers were being mean to each other and that wasn't happening online. Yeah, and it would have stayed within their little social group mm-hmm. within the same school. And even in this film, it feels antiquated because in all truth, in this era, we were all on MSN. Right, yeah, and there would have been an M- a nasty MSN page made about. But they don't. They, they, I feel like teen flicks of that era don't home in on the instant messaging services. No, and do you know what it is? Like, th- they would have had AOL in America, wouldn't they? Exactly. But I think it's because if you think about it, films are always written and made by adults, right? Yeah. So Tina Fey and the rest of them weren't tapped into what teenagers were really doing in 2004, which was, at this point, we were talking online predominantly, we were on AOL chat, we were on MSN. It was ridiculous. We'd spend all day yeah. together and then we'd go straight online. Yeah, so we just... tend to think that, you know, social media starts with MySpace and stuff. But you're absolutely right, really. This should have been, a, this should have been an AOL page they had or an MSN page they they had yeah. right Re- if it had been realistic but i guess they wanted to keep it more but i know i think it's more about the fact that the people writing it weren't in tune with it yeah I think whereas right. now the people writing the stuff have obviously experienced they're older they're, they're, they're the people who've grown up in the internet well now age. now when we're exposed to internet culture aren't we so you can see what's going on on tiktok by just downloading it right because yeah. now it would be a tiktok actually not on instagram even instagram would be old school now <laughs> it's, it's scary isn't it <laughs> these things move very fast well look, it's a cycle isn't it teens discover a site they like to communicate on slowly that gets exposed to adults adults join it and then kids are like ill adults are here and they know <laughs> facebook right facebook in 2006 was a cool thing to do and you had to have an email address from a uni and to your do mom it. tried to add you yeah. and you're like ew no and now Facebook is where you communicate with your aunt who just likes you on your birthday and like what else do you do on Facebook you know there are, there's no one over the age, under the age 20 on Facebook let's be real um, one of the things that I noticed is that they're quite open about being homophobic they're just like our oh, Janice Ian Dyke and that's not something that really gets explored much in the film but it's a real subtext isn't it of like there's this weird tension between Regina and Janice, the whole film, where Regina basically decided she was going to exclude and excommunicate Janice, right, mm-hmm. based on homophobia, right, based on the idea that she's she's gay and that she can't be in their circle. So homophobia, when I was at school, the way that the girls and the mean girls talk about gay people um, was very much how we talked, uh, it was spoken about at our school. If you didn't like any of the girls you would say they were lesbian with pick another girl that you didn't like, right? That was a very typical insult at school. I don't know. I feel like that might have been the last time, it, like like with the, the whole social media thing, that would have mm. been the last time it would have been acceptable to talk about homophobia the way that they did. It feels like a really strong moment, doesn't it? It feels almost out of place because the film's so light and just kind of like silly and fun to watch. But there's a real vehemence, isn't there? And they're mm. like, oh, Janice Ian died. It feels vicious. really violent. It doesn't yeah. feel... It's, in the in the looking back at it in, in 2020, it doesn't... It make, it's so sour that it doesn't quite belong in the film almost. Mm. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It is uncomfortable. And I think you're right. I think we are in a different era now. And we forget how fast things change. Homophobia is still everywhere. I don't think homophobia has gone anywhere. It's just less acceptable now, it right? It is significantly less acceptable. Oh, yeah. And I think as teachers... We, we reprimand students for it a lot more than we would have experienced ourselves. And we would have even seen teachers use the term, I'll stop being gay, mm. kind of thing. And we've seen it in a couple of films, haven't we, so yeah. far? Oh, I remember the gay isn't... I know it's still around as like, oh, that's gay, but that was a huge thing when we were growing up. Everything mm. was gay, that's so gay, that's so mm. gay. Just meaning bad, right? Mm. That was definitely a, a, like everywhere in my school. Mm. But it's just, it's just a little moment that I think you can already identify, just, as with the burn book itself, just being so antiquated now. Because like, there's no way teenagers in 2020 are was wasting there, time doing that. Was there a phrase in South Park where Cartman would regularly say, don't be gay? Maybe. I haven't watched South Park for a very long time. No, no. But it was that sort of like, that sort of humour was everywhere, I would yeah. say. In the same way that like joking about rape rape jokes were like a really big thing in this era just like just being fine and now yeah. just aren't seen as okay at all I feel like we were we grew up in an era where being flippant about all these serious things mm-hmm. was just normal and casual yeah we grew up in a very like everything's ironic and nothing's to be taken seriously yeah, don't worry everything's fine we're not yeah. we're, we're not racist we're not sexist we're not you know homophobic and that's why we can talk about and, all these I mean, things Every other day I see stuff about kids on TikTok using the N-word and saying this and that. So that kind of edgy humour is still around amongst teenagers, I mm. think. It's still there. I think I don't think it, our era is any worse, really. I think it's more so that 
there is more understanding of homophobia now maybe and there's there's just more exposure there are just more gay people out there are more gay there weren't really that many gay celebrities when we were growing up really ellen coming out was a huge thing. thing ricky martin coming out was a massive thing there was like there weren't that many out celebrities or even like, i mean certainly not out lesbians either there was like you know melissa etheridge <laughs> there were so many people who were famous in that era who weren't able to be comfortable and i think especially mark from my Mark. i mean and also lindsay lohan let's not forget oh yeah Oh, was it, had a, has never still I don't think has ever confirmed her sexuality but publicly had a relationship with a woman for a while so yeah it's one of those things I guess that you know gay people have always existed and always been in the media but particularly in this era I think it was seen as like don't say anything because it will ruin your career also uh, while we're talking about this um, do you notice how one of her classmates when um, he asks her to uh, join mathletes he gives her a nickname Africa yeah, so Kevin Nepore. I like Kevin Nepore. He's a good character. He's fun. So what does he call her? Africa. Damn Africa, what happened? Yeah. Which is another phrase that is still, I see everyone on the internet to this day, damn Africa, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he invites her to Mathletes, you're right. And she, at this point, knows that social suicide from both sides, both Janice and Regina, her two mentors are like, absolutely not. You cannot do that. You cannot. But she wants to. And she wants to. And she's, she's good at math. This is the thing. So it's almost like, you know, had she not met these other kids, she would have fully gone for it and had a great time. And that's, she has to get to that place eventually. But all the other kids are kind of a barrier to doing what she really wants, right? It's mm -hmm. like, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to just unambiguously do what you find fun because that's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. You have to just have all this pretense. It's like she's learning pretense. We also have, of course, another famous line. Start trying to make fetch happen. Do you ever have like a catchphrase or a phrase you would try and make happen when you were a kid or like a thing that you uh, would do? I used to say coolio a lot. I do remember that. I, this is so embarrassing to say out loud. I had a, a phase of when I'd see people, I'd say yo rather than hello. But poor Gretchen is just trying to make fetch happen and wants to, desperately wants Regina to give her this acceptance that she's just never going to receive. She, later on, you do see her when she's talking to Katie. She she lists all the sacrifices in her eyes that she's made to mm -hmm. be friends with Regina. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this one time her, mo her mom and dad bought her really expensive white gold hoop earrings and it was for Hanukkah, but she couldn't wear them because it was Regina's thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, and she it, it broke her heart, didn't it? But I think she's an interesting character because by the end of the film, you see this, that actually she's the kind of person who really wants to have an alpha who leads her and she really, she needs to be a deputy. That's where her comfort zone is. Mm. She's the kind of person who doesn't, doesn't, she doesn't really want to be Regina. She doesn't want to be the Queen Bee. She wouldn't feel comfortable. She wants to be an acolyte and that's where her comfort zone is, right? Mm. Whereas Regina is very much an alpha and, mm. and needs to have followers. And I guess Katie's trying to work out where she fits in in that hierarchy. Where, where do you think you fit in? I don't think, and there's actually, if you ever listen to a podcast called You're Wrong About, which I'm obsessed with and I talk about all the time, they have an episode about the whole idea of there being like alpha males and that it's a complete misunderstanding of nature because it comes from this study of wolves that has been completely discredited that believed that they had a social hierarchy that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So actually when we talk about alphas and betas and stuff, that doesn't really, it's situational, right? There's no such thing as being an alpha or a beta. It just depends on which situation you're mm -hmm. in. Because um, I think we're quite equal in that sense where, depending on the situation, I can take lead and depending on the situation, I you would can agree. take lead. I think exactly. It, it's absolutely situational. It's not a core trait of yours. Yeah. And and so, I and you know, I've just used it there without unthinkingly really because I think we do tend to think of people in that way. But it's quite damaging, I think, because it, it establishes certain people as certain characteristics, which, as we see in Regina, are quite destructive and antisocial as being desirable, right? Because everyone wants to be an alpha and be respected as the mm -hmm. dominant person. But actually, if everyone's trying to be an alpha that's that's not a society that's just a collection of people with massive egos trying to make themselves the top of the pile you mm. know so really none of us are alphas it's just not a real thing but we i think we need to unthink and unlearn that a little bit mm. so i guess to answer your question i don't think i'm any i think i'm just a human being <laughs> i don't think i don't think any of us are anything it depends who you're in a hierarchy right in my school i'm the bottom of the pile i have no power whatsoever because i'm new and that's fine um whereas if i was a head teacher i guess i would need to think of myself as a leader and act accordingly mm. but really a true leader is not regina george regina george is quite a bad leader she doesn't really respect the people beneath her she makes them feel like shit she's an example of your dictatorship leaders isn't she because they, they exist they definitely exist absolutely and she's someone who she establishes rules to control others but doesn't expect to follow those rules herself yeah which is always going to lead to a, re a rebellion a revolution we right see, we see that through the uniform policy should we call it where they're only allowed to wear certain things on certain days and 
she wore sweatpants two days in a row. Yes. When she was gaining that little bit of weight. Yeah. Well, so then we see she's obsessed with, like, she's always trying to lose three pounds, right? She's always trying to lose three pounds. And you do see in this film, like, the stupidity of dieting. She gets really confused about the number of calories in food. She's looking at something and she's like, I can't eat anything with more than 30% fat. And then she can't do the maths in her head. Obviously, Katie does the maths really quickly. They all look at her as if she's a freak because they don't get maths. And then she ditches whatever she was looking at for the nutritional values. And she goes, whatever, I'm getting cheese fries. <laughs> like, surely cheese fries will have more than 30% fat. <laughs> her lack of food education is disturbing. I agree with you. She asks if butter is a carb. She doesn't understand the difference between having a fat flush and drinking cranberry cocktail rather than actual juice. Because her boyfriend has to tell her cranberry cocktail is just sugar. It's not actually juice. Yeah. Uh, maybe this throws up that the American education system is undereducating kids yeah. in tea. Or that these guys are not paying attention in class. Although she's not paying attention. Because like, Katie is quite smart and she gets the numbers and she do, they do quite complex maths for the age that they are. Maths in film is like, this might as well be Hogwarts. Like I have no idea what's happening on the screen. <laughs> You're that meme, aren't you, where there's like integrals and everything flying. That meme is my life. And when we come in a few weeks to Goodwill Hunting, I still don't know. That mass to me could have just been doodles. I have no idea what any of that was. So the mass was real mass then. I think it's kind of fun and it's nonsense though, like that famous meme of the Nelly and Kelly video where she's texting him in Excel. Have you ever seen that? You know that song, Dilemma? Yeah. There's a sequence where she's looking at her pager and she's texting him, but she's just writing in an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> she's she? like sad that it doesn't get said. So I quite like some of that. I think it'd be fun if all the maths in this film was just absolute nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> just let's say an Easter egg for mathematicians. So, uh, but the thing is, Regina isn't dumb. She's a smart girl. You can tell from the way she plays her social integration. She's quite cunning, but also she's all clearly very interested in dieting, but doesn't actually seem to possess the knowledge that she would need to understand how food works, right? Yeah. So she doesn't understand that these calteen bars that um, Katie gives her, when they're clearly making a pot on weight, she's really bought into this whole mentality of, oh no, you'll blow up first. And then it's like... I mean, and then bam, it's gone. Yeah, and I feel like so much of dieting culture is designed to ruin our own intuitive understanding of our bodies, right? Yeah. She knows she's getting fatter and she's just ignoring all the signals. It's so mm. fun. So we've, we have the scene in her house, we see the burn book, and then the next kind of scene is Janice works in this store and she sees Mrs. Norbury outside of school. Yes. What did she say? I love seeing teachers outside of school. It's like seeing a dog walking on its hind legs. Yeah. And this, this is a line I always remember because that is so true because I hated seeing teachers outside of school and I would deliberately avoid them. It really freaked me out because they're just, they belong in school. You don't see them outside of school. They're not, they're not individuals. Would you see them often? Because I lived in an area and shopped in an area that was significantly far away from where teachers would live and shop and I would never quite see... far away from school as well yeah I would never see them in my local area because I lived quite far away but I did see them in like city centre a few times I actually remember once I went out to somewhere I think in like the custard factory when I was 17 and I shouldn't have been out and I was drunk and I saw my English teacher there really? and I was really embarrassed and like we were talking and she was like being quite nice but I felt obviously awkward and was clearly drunk and it was just really awkward I didn't you like see it. she would have a duty of care to you to report you as being an underage drinker and to get you escorted home. I mean, we were all drunk. There was loads of us there. Different era, different yeah, time. Again, different era. And we keep coming back to the safeguarding issue, don't we? Where uh -huh. teachers seem to be crossing certain lines in certain time frames. And yeah. Now it just wouldn't be acceptable, would it? Yeah. But Mrs. Norbury plays it quite cool, right? She still okay. talks to them. So flip it. Have you ever been seen out by kids? I have been seen, but only ever like walking to work or in that sort of... I did see a kid actually recently in the supermarket. And mm -hmm. I, in fact, because I now live very close to my school, I do see kids quite a lot on about and I always just pretend I haven't seen them. Because you do become a bit of a local celebrity, don't you, when you're a teacher? Absolutely. Especially if you, like, as I do, there have been plenty of times, as you've said, where kids have said, oh, I saw you walking down the road or like I saw you doing this. And it always disconcerts me. Like, what was I doing? What was I wearing? Like, mm. one of the days I was hiding from those kids because I was wearing shorts. And I just thought, I don't want kids to see me in shorts. This is just weird. Like, no, it's like I don't have my armor, I don't have my teacher suit on. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. It's like absolutely. I'm not a human being, they can't see me as a human. I got, I got clocked in Sainsbury's once, and I literally ran out to get some milk. And what I was wearing was my jogging bottoms, a t shirt, and my hair was just like loosely piled mm -hmm. on top. Um, I had no makeup on, and literally, I think I'd been painting that day or something stupid like that. So, I, I, I wasn't well-groomed let's mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. i felt like maybe i was a bit stinky and sweaty as well <laughs> and there was this child presented in front of me saying miss and you're like oh god i am literally gonna see you in less than 24 hours get out of my face <laughs> <laughs> but this is, so they do see miss norby at her comfort zone right because she's wearing this really weird waistcoat loads of badges on and yeah. interestingly she's working her second job at a mm -hmm. bar which i feel like 
doesn't happen so much in this country, but I, I was actually reading articles about this recently. The American education system is so bad now that like one in five teachers have a second really? job that takes up like 20 hours of their time on average, yeah. I think I read. So she she's bartending because she's had a divorce, presumably, and she's mm-hmm. trying to make some extra money. Um, and and uh, Janice does say she's living while that was bleak. Yeah, another film. I feel like every single film has to reiterate that teachers get paid no money, that their lives are really depressing and you should mm-hmm. never be a teacher. <laughs> so following this kind of sighting of her teacher, we see our first three-way call attack, which is another scene that could only exist in 2004 because very soon they're all going to have smartphones and this would not... Would this be able to exist on WhatsApp? Or? Absolutely. You wouldn't have a th- it wouldn't be a three-way calling attack, would it? Oh my gosh, screen Sean, records. Have, have you never had a whatsapp conversation going on with one person about another person so it'd be a whatsapp and then, yeah and then accidentally type the wrong thing in the wrong box i don't have such bitchy conversations oh my so goodness there's much more opportunity now to get to make mistakes and accidentally like communicate something with the wrong person whereas mm. this is a premeditated i'm gonna stake you out and make you say things that are nasty and then share that with someone else but again you probably got screenshots now. Yeah, Regina would get Katie to say something about Gretchen mm-hmm. and then screenshot it and, and manipulate the situation and say, look what she just said about you. It's just interesting, I guess, that, that it's so tied into the technology of the time and not the internet. We never see the internet. We don't mm. see anything like that. They don't hang well, mobile Which is either. where Clueless seems like it's a bit more advanced because she's got a cell. Yeah. She's got the touchscreens. But the joke in Clueless is they've all got cells because they're all privileged, overprivileged Beverly yeah. Hills residents who are the only people that have these ridiculous block phones, right? Mm. Whereas I don't... Do we see a mobile phone in this whole film? I don't feel like we don't, which is no. weird because we definitely all have mobiles by 2004. They were mm. basic, but we had You'd them. got through quite a few by 2005. I had. I remember my first phone stored six text messages. Yeah, mine mm. ten. So it was that annoying thing, wasn't it? Like someone would send you a message and you had to delete your previous message Yeah, to and see I it. always, I still feel like this. When I delete a text message or something, I feel like I'm deleting evidence. But that's the thing. That's what smartphones are. They're just a huge collection of evidence of your life that are just kept and stored indefinitely by yeah. third parties. And everything seems date stamped and location stamped now as well. So uh-huh. there's no getting away from facts, is yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we see our three-way calling attack where she gets baited into saying mean things about her friend. And then we also see... So she goes to that Halloween party, right? So we get mm-hmm. the famous Halloween sequence where Halloween's an excuse for girls to dress mm-hmm. up like sluts, in quotes. Yeah. And then Regina pretends she's going to help her get Aaron, but then mm-hmm. kisses Aaron. So she calls Regina a slut. Yeah. There's a lot of slut in this work. Again, dating... But I, I feel like it's it's the worst word that they could possibly use without going into you're, swearing. You're absolutely right. Changing the rating of the film. The whole Aaron Samuel situation makes me uncomfortable because at first she's told you can't like Aaron Samuels because, mm-hmm. you know, Regina dated him for however long. And then she's encouraged to go for Aaron Samuels. But obviously it's a ploy to hurt her, mm-hmm. essentially. I feel like Aaron Samuels needs to grow a pair. Yeah, Aaron Samuels, he's not really even a character, is he? He's a pawn. He gets He's a pawn between all these different girls. Mm. And it's also, it's sad that another thing she learns in this school is that to be attracted to this boy, she needs to really downplay the fact that she's definitely smarter than he is. The only strategy she can think of to get his attention is to keep asking for his help. She's already worked out boys like it when you seem like you need their help yeah. and you don't reveal that actually you know way more than them. Yeah. So she actually starts self-sabotaging just so that she can get tutored by him. Even though she should be tutoring him. And Miss Norbury notices. She's like, the strange thing about your work is the working out's right, but the answers are wrong. Mm. You know, Miss Norbury's doing the thing that I would probably do and probe the situation. Like, there's something clearly not right here. And even though she hasn't known her for a very long time, she's already getting a sense for... She's dumbing herself down for the four and if you, think, if you think about it I quite like that as a character moment in that it would be very easy for a girl as smart as that to do the working out wrong but it's like she still wants to do the working out for herself because she's enjoying the maths but then just at the end doesn't do it right yeah. so she's so clearly she's, enjoying she's, it she's clearly not smart enough to dumb herself down to the point yeah. where she's dumbed herself she would have saved time by not doing yeah. the working yeah. out and just putting or just not crap. handing it in like yeah. that, that, that would be the easiest way to say I didn't get it I didn't do it Put me yeah in so underline that is really she really does enjoy doing maths she's yeah, clearly yeah. enjoying doing it a lot yeah we then see one of probably the most famous scenes, the talent show, where she learns that, and this is something that, I, I wonder if this would be allowed to happen in schools now, but it definitely happened in talent shows and stuff in my school, because we had girls in sixth form, was that girls were allowed to be uh, very provocative in mm-hmm. talent shows. It was a space in which that was allowed. Mm-hmm. I remember once we did have a performance of Lady Marmalade, where the mm-hmm. girls performed as if they were, you know, in that video, that Moulin Rouge video, in mm-hmm. corsets, basically we had a slave auction 
where they would parade down the assembly hall in very little clothing. Wow. So it, it just, and I, so that, that part really did ring true to me because I remember stuff like that where girls were really allowed to mm. just sexualise themselves and it was really rewarded. I guess we've never really done anything like that in the... Well, last... you went to a girls' school, so it's a bit different atmosphere, right? Yeah, girls' school, that, that you know, it would have been seen as pointless because there wouldn't be, for the majority, the opposite sex to see them. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we had the Christmas pantomime and, again, it would be very much silly clothes and girl, the male parts would be played by girls dressed up as boys. Yeah, we wouldn't expect... I was very shocked when you told me about a few of those incidents and... Uh, I don't know how I would have responded if I was a girl in a boys' school like that. No, we never really experienced it. But, like, from a teacher's point of view, I think it's very different now. I mean, when we have things like non-uniform days, there are very strict rules about girls coming in wearing clothes that show their midriff or overly provocative clothing. And even though they exist in their wardrobes and they're free to wear them outside of school time... You know, there's very much an emphasis on it shouldn't distract from learning, mm-hmm. whereas non-uniform days in general do distract from learning simply because sometimes they don't even rock up with their pencil case, which is why they're not really popular in, in most schools. But yeah, I know what you're saying about the talent show. Personality-wise, Katie really saves the day, doesn't she? She does. This is where Gretchen and, and Regina are, have fallen out. Katie has successfully driven a wedge between them. They destroy the tape player, so she starts singing a cappella, right? So we get a bit of uh, mm-hmm. Lindsay Lohan singing. Could you name a Lindsay Lohan song in 2020? Put you on the spot. Oh, wow. No. Okay, so what I think you should do, if you can't remember any of Lindsay Lohan's very brief singing career, Google Lindsay Lohan rumours and you will be taken on a time warp back to 2004. Okay. It's it's very much that. We also see Damien singing, Beautiful, by yeah. Christina Aguilera, which I, again, I really like. he booed off stage, isn't he? Well, he? well, he doesn't, though. He finishes. They're booing him and he's getting abuse and he doesn't care. He keeps singing. I really, res- I really like respect that about him. He doesn't care that people are joking and taking the mick out of him. And I do always have that kind of respect for kids that are bold enough to sing in front of their peers because I do genuinely think that's probably one of the most conceivably terrifying situations I can imagine, like being vulnerable enough to sing at that age in front of all the other kids at your age when you, you can be really mean to each other at that time. I so used to in front of my... Um... Yeah, but as we said, you were already quite, in a weird way, quite self-confident at 16 and I think more so than most. I know, most. from year seven onwards, I'd always entered the music competition. Really? I never and, done that. And uh, there was this one year, it was me and my friend, um, she played You Are Not Alone on the piano whilst I sang my little heart out and there were some tears. There was some tears was in the audience. Tears of pain or... You know I can sing. I can sing. He's just being an ass. <laughs> so we get our, our famous talent show of... What is it, the song that they do? It's not Santa Baby. It's, um, no, it's Jingle Bell Rock. Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Where they do the thigh... Bells. My favourite part of the whole thing is when they do the thigh slap. That's yeah. when it really transitions. And then her parents are like, literally eye-popping, like, what is our little baby girl doing up there? <laughs> Which would not, I feel like, just would not be a thing now because kids just learn very overly sexualised dances from like eight onwards, it seems like. (laughs) So leading on from the talent show, you see Gretchen has clearly been iced out, Mm -hmm. right? She, Regina's given her the cold shoulder. She's really pissed off with her for kicking the tape recorder across the stage, almost ruining the performance. So Gretchen is now really feeling it. And so it then moves into, fades into a scene where Gretchen is reading her essay on on Caesar. Yeah. Now for me, this is a very pivotal moment because so far Gretchen has been depicted as a, a bit of an airhead and mm-hmm. she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's a bit of a follower. She doesn't know, you know, she she's not very intelligent. But she likens her situation to to Caesar to and, Brutus. To yeah. Brutus and Caesar, right? And she she really does the comparison and the likeness really well, I think. We should all just stab Caesar. Yeah, and I, and I feel like this is her type moment to say, do you know what? I've done my dad myself down for Regina. Mm-hmm. This is me showing that I can actually be intelligent and, and really be just as spiteful as her. So what's happening behind the scenes we haven't really talked about is this whole time that Kate is getting involved with the plastics her and Janice and Damien are plotting on how to sabotage Regina and they work out rightly that if they get to Gretchen, they crack her, they'll crack Regina, right? Because it's although she's a follower, she's almost like the secret to Regina's power because she knows everything about her. So they do successfully get Gretchen to crack. Gretchen then makes it her mission to get Karen Mm -hmm. to fall out. So... Regina calls Karen and says... A slut. Let, no, let, yeah. Oh, no. that's what they tell her, so Regina tells her. No, no, Called no, her. but she calls her a slut on the phone. Boo you whore. Bo- Another boo famous whore. And basically she realises that actually she's just mean, isn't she? And mm-hmm. she does. She goes, I can't come out 
<laughs> and sec. Her performance in this is so underrated because, I mean, you know, it's a very, fl- like, she's just a very two-dimensional, just dumb character. Yeah, but the yeah. way she plays her is, like, she's always kind of slack-jawed. You believe it. Yeah, she's you? so empty-looking. She just, she looks like a brat style for what? For yeah. a start, with all that lip... That's another thing that's very, like, all the lip gloss they're wearing in this film is yeah. very this era. Yeah, lip gloss is not a thing now. So they're wearing... She's got all this lip gloss, and she's always just... Everything is just so puzzling to her. Why are you white? Deb successfully distance Gretchen and, and Karen so, from and, Regina and then Katie now starts coming up as the new kind of queen bee right but she didn't expect it because mm-hmm. uh, she's walking away and they're like wait where are you going she turns around and they're literally following her and she's in the middle and, and this is where we start to see the whole idea of power corrupting so they, she's got what she wanted which was Regina to kind of her crown to slip a little bit now she's in that position and suddenly she starts becoming a, a clone a double of Regina and so we see this interesting idea I think of as soon as she's in that position she also starts adapting all these quite aggressive mean behaviours Norbury identifies that as part of this process of becoming quote unquote popular mm-hmm. she's dumbing herself down and she starts oversharing a little bit about her divorces mm-hmm. and her finances mm-hmm. and this is where we get pusher. the famous line I'm a pusher yeah. you know I like to push people you've called me a pusher at times I think all teachers are pushers to a degree. Ultimately, we all want the best for pupils. And if we identify talent, as she does with Katie, we want to see that grow and develop. But Katie does not take this well at all because she gets failed. She's very angry and she puts it into the book, which I think ties into... I think sometimes you really regret writing down things or acting upon anger. Mm. So she acts on her anger here, right? And she writes down that she's Especially a drug Especially if you shared it with other people. Yeah, exactly. This is a classic moment of she just needs to let herself simmer down a little bit and not act in haste. She does and she regrets it. So I think sometimes she, what she probably just needs to do is vent and not create evidence of her venting. She writes down in the burn book that she's a drug pusher and then she organises this whole house party excluding Regina but also excluding Jamian as we're now calling them mm-hmm. they find out about this and this is what her kind of downfall starts now she throws up on Aaron Samuel's shoes when she tries to come onto him Regina finds her coming onto Aaron mm-hmm. then her friends also find out they've excluded her mm-hmm. we see um, Janice's art from her art show that she missed to have this party yeah. that I mean the artwork I'm not gonna lie wasn't great but you know She's only it's, it's more meaningful than it is supposed to be great because yeah. it's like it's a, it's a friendship that's been depicted in this form of painting and yeah it's quite nice if it is a genuinely believable portrait like I'm sure I did something similar when I was in school you know it looks like oh you think I wasn't that talented no 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 as in <laughs> oh you think you're really pretty oh you also hear the word fugly which is another word that I just feel like isn't in use anymore but was everywhere in this kind of era yeah. everyone was everyone was fugly yeah. there was that website yep, go yep, fug yep, yourself yep. Um, and I remember specifically an incident that included us and our group of friends where I think, you know, everyone that walked through the door would say fugly or not fugly. Oh, really? Do you not remember? I don't remember that. That seems very mean. Yeah. I think you are mean at the stage. I, gen- I do genuinely think this. I don't think you're... Em- I know we've talked about this before. I don't think your empathy is fully developed. And I think you are... This, this particular age, like late adolescence... You're very concerned with social pecking order and establishing yourself outside your family with your friend group. And that leads to a lot of these kind of situations we see in the film, right, mm. of just of meanness, of cruelty. One thing I will say is that I think girls have a reputation for being mean, don't they? Especially mm-hmm. at this age. I think boys can be just as mean. We just tend to call it banter when boys do it and we call it bitchiness when yeah, girls do it. and I think a lot of the times boys tend to settle any kind of meanness traditionally with their fists. I don't know if that's the case in there nowadays, but... It was always seen that, you know, girls bitch verbally and boys just beat the crap out of each other. I don't know, I'm not a big fan of oversimplifications. I think it's more acceptable for boys to demonstrate their anger physically. Mm. And I think girls tend to learn to direct their anger inwards, right? So one of the interesting definitions of eating disorders is anger directed inwards. Mm. So girls who are angry about their position, angry about their bodies changing, direct that 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 aggression internally and punish Mm. themselves whereas boys it's more acceptable isn't it for a boy to punch a wall or punch someone else or whatever I do think one thing I will say is I don't think it's just girls who are mean at this age Mm -hmm. I think everyone is kind of mean but the film very much depicts that it's girls it does but I guess you do see little moments like you see when she's first new at the school and that boy says oh do you want to butter your muffin and he's trying to like pretend that genuinely surveying her and like taking the piss out of her because she doesn't get the reference so I think there are little flashes of that but it's very much like girl world is the mean world isn't it Mm. in the film after this house party disaster then Regina realises she's been set up finds out that she's been made to eat these protein bars that make you gain weight by Katie and she coolly and calmly well not so much because she screams the whole sequence decides what she's going to do which is give the burn book to the principal so Mm -hmm. she reveals it whilst also putting one of herself in so it looks like she wasn't involved 
which is quite a smart touch. And I do, my favorite shot of this whole film is after she's gone to the principal and told him about it. She prints it all off and she's just throwing it and disseminating it everywhere. So all the girls coming out of their lessons will see all these mean things that have been That's written about. That's the equivalent of Centaur, right? Yeah, she does a sensible. <laughs> so now you're absolutely right. Now it would be an Instagram live where she just put it all on blast or whatever else. But I love that shot where she's just at the top of the corridor, just sort of presiding over this chaos that and she's, she's created. she's proud of herself. Like, Very this proud. is what I'm about. You mess with me and this is what you get. Did you notice how he said when he finally gets informed that anarchy has been, you know, ensued in his hallways. He he grabs his bat and he goes, I did not leave the South Side for this. So clearly he he's tried to better himself in terms of which schools he's worked at and whatever. And this is a middle class school and his expectations of it is that I'm not supposed to be breaking up fights. Yeah. yeah. It's sad, isn't it? Because get this another like thing that we see consistently. It's like that joke in Bad Teacher where Amy Squirrel's comeuppance is that she has to go and work in Malcolm X High, which yeah. left a bit of a bitter taste in our mouths. Yeah. It's, I guess it's the flip reverse of that which is a teacher that's come from a, a certain community yeah. who now sees himself as being upwardly mobile and is now yeah. in quite upper middle class mm -hmm. school I guess where they're not expected to fight in the yeah. same way so they have this whole big sequence this is where I actually think the reputation of this film because it's a very well regarded film and like a real cult classic and all that but I think some people feel it's a little bit mawkish and mm -hmm. a little bit over sentimental compared to other ones like Heather's yeah. and I think it's all this stuff which is very clearly from the self-help book that it came from where mm -hmm. it's all girls we need to learn to respect ourselves and all this stuff in this sequence where they're advising the girls I think is sound advice but it's, just a, it's a tad patronising I think the whole idea they need an attitude makeover. Some of the exercises they do, it's interesting. They have that whole pool where they say all the things they want to say and let it die. But it does kind of, it puts a neat little bow on everything, doesn't it? Like the teachers just need to intervene and that's going to that's gonna completely solve all the social problems that we're seeing immediately, right? Realistically, you're talking about a scenario where it would take months to fix the problem mm -hmm. and they needed a quick fix to finish the film to resolve the situation. I did like the fact that he put Miss Norbury in charge of trying to sort this because he realised that he's not best place. Yes. To... Although, do you remember why? what line leads to him doing that? Yeah, where she starts talking about her vagina. And... Her heavy flow and wide set yeah. vagina. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's just like, I can't do this. He's like, I can't do this. And I thought that was a really, really wise and very informed choice to make it, because it, you're not right. enough people do that. They, they think, you know what, I'm in charge. I'm supposed to be able to deal with this problem. Let me try. And quite often can make the situation worse. You're right. This uh, wasn't a conversation for him to have. You're yeah, absolutely and, right. And he, he then, not only does he give Miss Norbury that confidence boost that actually you're better at dealing with this than me, but he also like lets the girls know, I'm not adverse to letting somebody else take charge of this situation and you should t learn from this. Like... You, you you don't always need to be in control or be, be in charge of the situation. Yeah. I like that underlying No, message. I do. I agree. But I think you can also see it as this weird thing of like periods unspeakable. It's like that classic joke, isn't it? Of if a girl wants to get out of a lesson to, with a male teacher, she just says she's on a period. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh God, get out of the class. And that's the thing. <laughs> I think that's, I, I agree with you. I like your positive interpretation of it. But the flip side of it is this is girl stuff. And so it's not my sphere. I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not getting involved in girl stuff, which I think, mm, I feel like, you know, he could have given it a bit more time I, I like the the, the, um, the interpretation that he recognises Miss Norbury's better yeah. suited but it's also a bit like oh periods female teacher quick yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so they all kind of confess that they've said mean things to each other I also really like when he says you know close your eyes or she says close your eyes if you've ever said something mean about someone else and then that moment where Regina opens her eyes and she does that like faux bashful look like oh yeah I also say mean things guys like she's pretending that she's not the mean this girl yeah, in this whole school. what about when she asks, hands up if you've ever felt victimised by Regina. And, and all, all the, the teachers. <laughs> and teachers, and the male teachers' hands go up. Which ties into earlier where, you know, they have the gossip montages about like, oh, Regina like met John Stamos on a plane, he told her she was pretty. And sometimes there's a moment where the principal is also like talking about her relationship with Aaron and knows all the intimate details. Mm -hmm. After this, then there's a kind of a sense of a, a healing process. It's all out in the open. Janice confesses to everyone their whole plot to sabotage Regina and then we come to the kind of spring fling we don't do this in UK schools do we and I hope we never do do we do prom king and queens yes, now we do. oh <laughs> no I just think it's not I don't know I, I'm not comfortable with us having open popularity contests the thing is though it's so much in in the the TV programs and the films that we watch 
it's 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 inevitable that those kind of cultures would then be embedded here mm-hmm. it it seems like it's a good idea right because you see it in the films and you you want our our students to experience what those students and that there is prom, prom king and queen and there is the most likely voting and all of that kind of stuff i think most likely can be kind of fun because it's recognizing people's characteristics but to me you know head boy and girl votes Makes sense because there's a level of responsibility, the recognition of qualities again. Absolutely. But but this kind of stuff is just literally who is the most popular kid. Yeah. You know, which I just think is not something not something school should be officially supporting. I guess maybe I'm just a stick in the mud. I don't know, but I'm glad that it didn't exist when we were yeah. in school. But I do like how uh, KD responded to it. Well, it's kind of implausible she wins. She does say she thinks she wins partly because at the end of that, when Regina finds out that she's been sabotaged so publicly she runs out of the school very dramatically and very like very like a real smash cut of her getting hit by a bus which really she looks like she's dead she, i do like the visual gag of it but she yeah she definitely would have been a wheelchair for the rest of her life at the very least yeah. based on what we see so katie does win but thinks that it's partly because half the kids think that she basically killed regina george by pushing her into the bus mm-hmm. It always drives me insane every time I see this film, how many times she breaks the crown. Like, how many pieces of this crown were there? Because it's like she gives a huge chunk away to one girl, mm-hmm. then a huge chunk away to another girl. And there seems to be, like, endless pieces of this crown. Again, I would have quite liked if a visual guy, they just kept going with that, and there's, like, 150 pieces. Yeah. I would have that. But she, she decides that, actually, we're all prom kings and queens, and we all get to have a piece of the crown for a day, which is a, a nice idea, but also a little cheesy. Yeah. We also should touch on that Janice and Damien have great matching purple suits, which I really liked, that they have their matching purple suits. And I like as well the film plays with the idea that they're going to kiss at the end. There's like a little moment and then they're both like, oh no, no <laughs> why exactly. would he do this? So they don't entertain this idea that he's going to become straight because that's done. And then Regina actually gets kind of a happy ending, right? Because she finds sports, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. She gets to find a way to channel her aggression and the sports girls aren't afraid of her at all. Yep. And that's one of the things we see in that big scene with all the girls is that the plastics think they run the school and everyone cares about them. But actually, there's lots of little mini hierarchies. So all the jock girls have their own queen bees. The Asian girls have their own queen bee. They think that they are the most popular and important kids, but they're just the the head of the white kids who are wealthy, is what you kind of realise is the kids who haven't got any other hobbies other than just talking to each other. Mm. So you kind of see how small they are, actually, in that moment, which I think is kind of fun. Karen becomes a weather presenter, which is like the dumbest joke, but does make me laugh when she's like the weather girl and she's saying there's an 80% chance it's going to rain when it's, it's like pouring on her down. and she's just like yeah. feeling her boobs yeah. to make sure so stupid and then Gretchen I think they're Vietnamese I want to say yeah <laughs> it's a bit of a weird moment now but she seems to have straightened her hair so yeah, that she looks she more told, Vietnamese she's she's she's, uh, she's speaking in tongue with them uh-huh and one of the things I've noticed that's absent from the film now actually is the whole thing we haven't touched on is that both of those girls are having an affair with Coach Carr Oh, yeah. The PE, another really bad PE teacher, yeah. another gym teacher who's being disparaged here yeah. <laughs> as not a very nice man in a school setting. But there's a, a moment where the girls are bickering. But he was also teaching the sex ed, wasn't he? He, he was. He was telling them not to have sex and he was. all the while he was. Yeah, so that's actually a nice moment, isn't it? It shows the hypocrisy of abstinence while he's literally having sex with girls in the school. That's a very good point. I didn't actually put put that together until now. I like that. Yeah. So the teachers, what are we rating them? Well, so Mrs. Norbury, so so when all that happens, it comes out that she's accused of drugs and basically her job is in jeopardy because Mm -hmm. she's been accused of being a drugs pusher. And Katie eventually gets her out of hot water by confessing, right? And she deals with it, I think, very sensitively she's obviously pissed off with her Mm -hmm. but she forgives her and she says okay your punishment is going to be you're going to do the mathletes Mm -hmm. right which actually her punishment then really is a development opportunity so i think she deals with it very graciously she does clearly recognize katie has potential and she makes her fulfill that potential we don't see any teaching really do we other than i mean katie's so obsessed with aaron samuels so she's tuned out of her lessons it seems but Um, she remembers to look past Aaron Samuels, so the limit does not exist. You're right. So the, the before she gets to the spring fling, they'd have their mass competition and they both kind of play with this joke of like, there's only one girl on each team, like the token girl, because yeah. they'll get more funding. And they want jackets this year. And she kind of learns also, doesn't she, that she sees this girl on the other team who's like a very stereotypical geek with spots and glasses and stuff. And none of that's going to help her win the competition. Exactly. She kind of unlearns all this bullshit she's learned of like being very superficial about how this girl presents herself and recognises that actually all that matters is who knows. And I feel like that's thanks to Miss Norbury. Yeah. I think 
She has learned maths, but at the same time, she's learnt actually who she is. I would give Miss Norbury an outstanding. I'm happy to do that based on what we see. I think so. I don't think we see anything negative. She's, she's clearly Nothing going through a lot of personal endeavours and she hasn't let that affect her teaching. Yeah. She hasn't let it affect the fact that she still marks the kids' work. She's still giving them really good feedback in terms of, you know, I've noticed that you haven't been, been yourself in all of this. I found that that to be, you know, a prominent moment. I will say I think she overshares her personal life. Maybe that's my own personal boundary. Maybe it's actually a good thing she shares with them. She's going through a divorce and she's struggling with money. I don't know if I'd, that's beyond my personal comfort zone, I think, in terms of what I would share. Mm. But actually, maybe there's something levelling about that and that mm. makes the kids relate to her more, that mm. she's just being real with them. I mean, she's the only teacher we really see, other than Coach Carr, who clearly is, you know, needs to step away from the teenage girls, as he's told mm. at one point. And the principal, who I guess is fine. He acknowledges, as you said, that Miss Norbury is the one to deal with this task. But Miss Norbury, I'm happy then, as a pusher, to give her an outstanding. Yep, well done, Miss Norbury. Well done. Thank you for listening to us today. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Film Class Pod and also on Instagram on the same handle. Also, you can send us an email at filmclasspod at gmail.com. Send us over any comments, any suggestions. Thank you so much as well to Kevin McLeod for our music, Night in Venice. You can find all of Kevin's work in competech.filmmusic.io and the license is at Creative Commons. See you next week. See ya.